0: Thank you. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Break the Cycle with your host, Joshua Smith. That's me, not me, like I said in episode 4 or something like that. Uh, I hope everyone's having a great Friday, man. It's almost Easter, you know, uh, the day Jesus arose and now we have some uh, pencil neck pocket protector nerds at the CDC telling us that we're not allowed to shotgun white claws with our grandma in the living room. So that sucks, uh, but we're doing all right, man. We're doing all right. Uh, let's start off with some sponsors as per the use. Coffee, of course, delicious Italian coffee delivered directly to your house. Uh, bring the taste of Italy home, man. It's good stuff. We're uh, ordering more right now. It's fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because they sponsor the show. It is actually very good coffee. Uh, toplobsta.com for all your wonderful graphic tees, including this amazing Tower Gang Tetris shirt here. Uh, If you're a fan of the Tower Gang, you should definitely be ordering the shirt. If you use BTC at checkout for Top Lobster or the coffee shop, uh, you are going to get a 10% discount. Uh, Tower Gang's doing great things, man. They are out there fighting uh, the the Antichrist every single day, man. They're great people. And also, Anthem Planning for all of your uh, emergency crisis planning needs for your business. They're doing a wonderful job doing things that the government wish they could do better. Uh, anthemplanning.com Definitely hit them up Delaware residents uh, They're working they're working their butts off And their Mises caucus So you're supporting a good business That's doing good things In the liberty movement Alright So now that we got all that stuff Out of the way uh, We have a wonderful guest today guys I'm really stoked about this If you watched his debate With Dave Smith On the utility of the Republican Party Versus the Libertarian Party um, as, as far as how they act In the liberty movement uh, Then you already know him uh his he's a former Maine state senator uh congressional candidate uh policy advisor for young americans uh for liberty and all around nice amazing cool guy so let's uh give a round of applause to eric brakey how you doing senator eric brakey
1: hey joshua it's a pleasure to talk with you thanks for having me on today
0: yeah of course man i'm stoked that you're here uh I was really looking forward to this one. I was a little nervous, man. You're you're kind of you're kind of getting famous in the in the liberty movement these days, man.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just doing what I've always been doing, which is just trying to push for liberty the best place and the best way that I know how.
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, you and I came from pretty similar backgrounds as far as how we got into the liberty movement. I for me, I, it was the war thing, you know, I I served on the USS Constellation during Operation uh, yeah. Shock and Awe. And uh, when I got out, I was just completely jaded on, on the military industrial complex. And, and you know, it, it really it hurt me to continue to be in the GOP. I was no longer a neocon. I, and prior to joining the military after 9-11, I was a neocon. I, I thought that we had to go to war to solve our issues. Um, and then I found a gentleman by the name of Dr. Ron Paul in 2007, I guess. It, funny, funny enough story, I was actually sitting in a bar. And they had the news on, you know, the TV, and I'm I hearing this guy talking. I didn't know who he was prior to this. I, You know, I, I grew up in the 80s, um, but I didn't watch the Robert Downey show or any of that stuff. You know, I didn't know much about politics. I just kind of went with my gut on, you know, how I voted or whatever. Um, supported Bush, unfortunately, uh, until he declared war while I was sitting in the middle of the Persian Gulf. Um, but I, I worked on Ron Paul's campaign in 2008. You worked on his campaign in 2012. Do you do you remember like the feeling of the Ron Paul campaigns and how united the Liberty Front was? I mean, that was such a beautiful thing.
1: Oh yeah, you know it's it's interesting. I I in the last decade or so, there's only one thing I've seen the Liberty movement. There's only one moment I can recall in recent history that the Liberty movement has been united since um, uh, since the end of Ron Paul's 2012 campaign, and that was that recent moment when Ron Paul had a, had that mini stroke on, 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 um, during the Ron Paul Liberty report. And it was kind of, it was like a a moment where we were all kind of terrified together. Uh, all of the libertarian infighting ended for a moment and we all just kind of were worried about Ron. And uh, I think that really is just a testament to, you know, I mean, Ron, was was and continues to be the most uniting force in the libertarian movement, which is saying something because this is a movement. Uh, you know, anyone knows who's tried to organize in this movement, it's like herding cats. So there's something about Ron Paul. There's something about uh, the way that he. Um, you know, uh, delivers the message, the way he doesn't kind of judge people, the way he's welcoming to, you know, all different kind of takes the way he doesn't even try to tell people what the right strategy is. He just says, go do Liberty, figure it out yourself. Uh, there's a, there's a role for you. I think, uh, there's a reason that Ron, uh, you know, brought so many of us to this movement. And I will say, you know, um, I, I didn't get involved until, uh, 2010, uh, you know, I was a you know neocon before that. You know, I was a pretty young guy. I, I w- was graduating college in 2010. Uh, but you know, you were you were kind of in the first wave. And I didn't get. I, I like to think of the 2008 campaign as the first wave. 2012 campaign is the second wave. We've had a couple waves of the Liberty movement since. But uh, you know, you're a first wave guy. You you helped pave pave the way for uh, folks like me and everyone to come. So thank you for. Thank you for being a
0: part of that before I was smart enough to uh, realize that liberty was the way. Well, you know, it took a war to push me there, man. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's funny that the people that support the ideals of liberty the hardest always seem to be veterans. You know what I mean? It's funny how going to war can change your entire outlook on, mm. you know, modern government and how they act with these, you know, the, the military industrial complex. And it's it's pretty wild, man. But but Ron Paul, I mean. You know, talking about blowback and, and the Iraq wars and the Middle East wars, I mean, that really just changed my whole perspective on everything, not just, you know, um, not just the wars. I mean, everything. And then because of Ron Paul, I found people like Murray Rothbard and F.A. Hayek and um, Milton Friedman. And, you know, I started reading this, this literature. And that's a window that once you open, you can't close that window ever again. You know, it makes it really, really hard for you to look at, Uh, especially the federal government, you know, and this, Mm -hmm. this, this push for central planning and these, these push, these pushes for constant war and destabilization of the Middle East. And it it just makes it hard to to turn back. I mean, are you, uh, are you into philosophy at all? I've, I've seen you quote some, some, some authors here and there, but who's, who's some of your favorite guys that you've read and, and kind of cultivated your, uh, outlook on politics and philosophy you know uh you know in the in the liberty movement specifically or or broader philosophy oh man broader philosophy hey look how to how to <laughs> how to uh, influence people and make friends you know there's all kinds of great books out there that can you know and then uh you know Emmanuel you know, Paul I, and, and there's a lot of great philosophy anything that yeah, helps I shape mean, who you are man talk about it <laughs> well i
1: actually you know i i think it's um uh you know something murray rothbard said um, you know he he said the 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 first uh, the first kind of libertarians in recorded human civilization were the were the Taoists uh, in uh, in in um, Eastern philosophy. And I kind of find a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I've studied Taoism a bit over over the last couple of years. And I've just kind of found that this is the most kind of uh, uh, libertarian kind of spiritual philosophy and totally, totally compatible with with any kind of religious beliefs that individuals have. Uh, it's, uh, but, uh, but Taoism kind of, uh, has increasingly had an influence on me, but, but inside the Liberty movement, um, I mean, i I read Rothbard, I've read, you know, I, I remember when I was first getting into this, Ayn Rand had a big influence sure. on me, but I think we all go through our Ayn Rand phase. I um, never did, man. <laughs> I never
0: did. Well, you're the exception that proves the rule, then. Yeah, it's funny because every time, you know, especially the leftists, they're like, "Oh, why don't you go jack off to Ayn Rand or whatever?" I'm like, "I never even liked Ayn Rand, man. I don't know, <laughs> you know." Well, I, I don't think the leftists uh, ever read Ayn Rand either.
1: I think Ayn Rand is kind of like uh, Hans hermann Hoppe, where everyone's got a strong opinion, but nobody's actually read. <laughs> yeah. uh, read the works.
0: Yeah, and Hoppe makes some great points, and I, I've been attacked for uh, I've been attacked on both sides of that because I hadn't read enough Hoppe. So I was like, I don't really know enough about Hoppa to, to have an opinion. I got attacked by one side for that. And then when I started reading more of Hoppa, and I was like, hey, you know, Hoppa makes some really good points. I started getting attacked by the other side for that. And I'm going, okay, you know what? I'm done. I'm just going to do whatever yeah. I want to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah.
1: I, and truth be told, I'm still at that phase where I, I haven't read much Hoppa. So I, I'm, I'm Hoppa neutral until I actually do some reading and understand what, what his arguments actually are
0: sure. On on their own terms. As you should be. I mean really, you know, you should yeah. Yeah. but how do you feel about Scott Horton though? That's the that's the really important one these days. I, you know I, I, mean?
1: I love I love Scott Horton. You know, I remember when I was running for Congress, I uh, you know, I was a bit of a Scott Horton fanboy and I, I I was able to I got I reached out to Scott Horton. I said, Hey, you know, I'm writing my announcement speech for my campaign for Congress. I wanna be really hard hitting on foreign policy because I felt like we were getting to a point where one, it's always been, you know, while I've been in the Liberty Movement, that's been my most important issue is the foreign policy. Uh, and I've been genuinely, genuinely excited to see that I think that we are in the GOP to some degree. We're we're turning that that ship from where we were under the George W. Bush neoconservative kind of you know monolithic take on kind of the the neoconservative foreign policy to where people are much more open minded in the GOP now about you know maybe we don't need to be in these wars. Maybe maybe this is wasting a lot of money. Maybe this isn't a good use of um, you know the lives of our soldiers. And um, so I I wanted, you know, Scott's kind of take on it. And I had a a great call with Scott. Um, It was a great call because it lasted for three hours. And I got maybe a few sentences in the whole time. (laughs) but that's scott horton he's uh he's an encyclopedia
0: yeah i have i have scott coming on the show on tuesday and I'm, I'm like look i'm just gonna turn the mic off and let you go man it's your show you know what i mean <laughs> I, i'm gonna pull out i got a, a enough already his new book up here on the bookshelf and i'm trying to get through it i've been watching the uh he sent he was he was nice enough to send me the ebook version so that i could read it while i'm at work on my phone and stuff um so i'm trying to get through it before he comes on the show because i'd I want to be able to talk with him about it. And as as a veteran who actually served in a, in a Middle Eastern war, he knows, I mean, scores and scores and scores more than I ever could hope to. So, yeah, I totally get that, man. But it is, it is fun watching uh, conservatives and Republicans, you know, that have been a part of this neocon age uh, start getting red-pilled on the military industrial complex and wars. And the police, too, you know what I mean? Especially recently. Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, you look at, you know, frankly, I think you look at the history of Republicanism as an idea, I guess, small R Republicanism and to some degree the Republican Party in a general sense. And the neoconservative movement kind of dominating the message on foreign policy is really uh, an aberration in the context of history. I mean, you look at like Robert Taft, who was Mr. Mr. Republican, you know, in his time, he was he was uh, the best U.S. senator we've ever had until Rand Paul came along. Um, And he was, you know, strong, uh, you know, opposed to kind of, uh, you know, intervening in these in these foreign wars. You look at uh, the America First Coalition, which included uh, many, many, you know, very big figures in American society who were, you know, opposed to kind of Woodrow Wilson's push to get us into World War One. You know, skepticism of of war has has historically been a Republican position uh, uh, and it's been the progressive movement pushing us pushing us into sure. war. So, um, anyway, I, I, I hope that we are rounding the corner and, and the Republican party's coming back to its roots.
0: Yeah. I'd love to see it. I, you know, we're going to get into this a little more. Obviously I sit on the libertarian national committee. I'm a libertarian through and through. Uh, I believe that the party can be a useful vehicle. I, you know, some people call that white pilled. I, I like to call myself a little more gray pilled. I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'm optimistic, you know? Um, But how, you know, you, you talk about the America first coalition, right? America first under the, the Trump GOP has taken what seems to be a kind of a different turn as far as that American first. Um, while there are some great Liberty, Liberty Republicans, uh, like yourself and, uh, Massey and Amash was great on a lot of things and, and Rand Paul was good on a lot of things. Obviously he's always going to be against wars, which I appreciate, um, how has it been trying to work with the the Trump GOP? I mean, is there is there is it hard as a Liberty Republican for you? Um, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, you can look
1: at the glass as half full or half empty. I mean, I, I've chosen to look at the glass as half full. I mean, I, I guess for me, uh, you know, and and I recognize some of the younger people in the movement may not have this 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 context. But I know that I know that you do. You know, for those of us who grew up under the neoconservative movement, being in a position of really absolute dominance in the GOP, it's uh, on on foreign policy. It was hard to imagine we would ever be at a point where mainstream conservatives were questioning the wisdom of these wars in the Middle East. And, and yet here we are. Now, of course, people aren't as, uh, you know, far along, perhaps, as you and I are. But I try to be I try to be um, both. You know, generous and patient with people because, you know, I remember being a young, you know, when I was in high school, you know, the foreign policy was the hardest thing for me to let go on my journey to libertarianism because I grew up under the Bush administration. Geez, the first candidate I ever like got involved and volunteered for was George W. Bush in his reelection. In two thousand and four, I was making phone calls in Ohio to help him get reelected, and I was excited to be involved. I was in high school, so I was a little dumb, and I believed, you know, all the Fox News line and everything Bill O'Reilly told us about the wars. I was at, I was at war
0: I, by the t- by that by the way at that time.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I I cheerleaded, you know, for you to get for you to be put into sure. that, but you know, I um, you know, but I think for myself and for so many Americans. Uh, on the right at that time, you know, support for those wars be- became almost a part of your political DNA. It became a part of your identity. And so, for, at least that's how it certainly was for me. And so to admit that you were wrong on something of such uh, significance, um, of something of such great consequence, is a very hard thing for, for most people to do. Sometimes you really got to just kind of try to crack the door open for people. Uh, people can't, you know, swallow the whole red pill all at once. Right. Um, sometimes you got to say, well, you know, maybe it made sense to go over into an Afghanistan at that point, but now Osama bin Laden is dead and Al Qaeda is destroyed, and why are we still over there? So you're not telling people, hey, you were wrong back then. Say, well, maybe you, you're leaving the room. Maybe you were right back then. But does this really make sense today? You know, I, I think that's how you kind of crack the door sure. open. At least that's how. People had to, tr- I, it took a, it was a process for me to get beyond that. And I think it's a process for a lot of folks, but I'm yeah. glad that people are going through that process, even if it's uh, you know, slower than it was
0: for us. Sure. And it, it was Uh. yeah, I mean, the, the wars red pilled a lot, a lot of people at, at the end for sure. Um, so what's your plan moving forward as far as uh, you know, Liberty Republican, how are you going to try and bring more Liberty Republicans to the GOP?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'll say, um, look, my, my goal overall is is to make liberty win. It's, it's not necessarily to make liberty win in the Republican Party. I just see the Republican Party as the most effective vehicle we have available to us. So, uh, you know, I do think that sometimes in the movement we get caught in this game of like, you know, being loyal. You know, I, I see it on the LP side and the GOP side where people can get caught up too much in, you know, loyalty to the party whichever party that is, but we need to strip away and we, we need to, Party is just a vehicle uh, and we should use the vehicle that's most effective to getting the liberty movement to where we wanna go. So I'm working with Young Americans for Liberty because I think that Young Americans for Liberty has the most effective strategy in place today to advance the liberty movement. Which is, you know, we have this huge advantage of our, of our activist base in the liberty movement. And Young American Liberty has been cultivating this on college campuses across the country. We've got 500 chapters on college campuses across America now. And across the last two election cycles, we've developed a new strategy called Operation Win at the Door, where we mobilize our student activists to go knock doors in races for state legislature, where we've identified, vetted um, and sometimes recruited candidates uh, who are uh, Ron Paul-style principled liberty folks. Uh, and over the last two cycles, uh, we've 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 uh, we've now got 179 Ron Paul-style liberty legislators elected across the country. Uh, 178 of them were elected as Republicans. One of them was elected as a Libertarian in Wyoming. He's part of our our Hazlitt coalition. We call it. Um, but uh, they're doing they're doing amazing things. I'm helping to you know, coach and mentor some of the, the, the newer legislators. But I'll tell you, when I, when I got elected to the state Senate in 2014, this, was, uh, this, was a, this wasn't really a strategy people were pursuing in the movement. Uh, we were all still focused on the federal level. You had so many people running for Congress and U.S. Senate, and we won a few races here and there, but mostly we lost. Um, but uh, e- even if the goal is Congress and U.S. Senate, over 50% of those who serve in Congress started in their state legislatures. So if we can build the bench of state, le- uh, state, liberty state legislators, that's put us in a better position when opportunities open up in the future. But of course, also, if the goal is to try to kind of take on the Washington machine, sometimes the direct assault isn't the right approach. Sometimes when you're going against a very fortified enemy, you've got to look at the indirect path. And uh, you've got to look at maybe surrounding uh, that, those fortifications and cutting off their supply lines. And I think that's what we can do in the state capitals. We can go to the state capitals. We can work on nullification efforts, like defend the guard, cutting off the supply of our young men and women being sent off into these unconstitutional, never ending wars. We can look at ways to, you know, um, uh, to, you know, nullify gun control policies, uh, uh, nullify other assaults on our freedoms, even nullify. uh, Maybe there are certain tax policies we can nullify there, too.
0: So. Have you worked That's with uh, Have you worked with Michael Bolden in the Tenth Amendment Center on any of that stuff?
1: Uh, you know, not directly. Uh, though I will say, um, one of my one of my uh, bigger accomplishments when I was in the Maine Senate was passing right to try legislation, which nullified uh, nullified the uh, the FDA on you know terminally ill patients being able to access non FDA approved medications. It's federal law now, but at the time it wasn't. Um, and, um, uh, I sponsored that we became the first state in New England to pass it. And that was
0: just an idea I got. I listened to Michael Bolden on the Tom Wood show. <laughs> he's, he's amazing, so, man. He's, uh, he's going to be uh, a yeah, guest yeah. on my show in a couple of weeks too, man. I, and he's become like a really good friend to me. I, you know, I'm from California. He lives in LA. So like, yeah, he goes to a bunch of libertarian events and, and stuff, you know, he stays pretty nonpartisan because he will work with anybody on nullification and, and, uh, but man, he is just a wonderful dude. You should definitely—he, I guarantee you, he'd have a phone call with you, man, and just and just talk about you with any uh, talk about anything with you for as long as you wanted to talk about it.
1: Well, well, I'm a fan of his, and I think I—I I don't remember if I worked with him directly, or I worked with someone at the 10th Amendment Center, I believe, uh, a few years back when I fa- sponsored their Fourth Amendment Protection Act in Maine. That one didn't pass, but it was a <laughs> cool,
0: uh, cool nullification idea. Anyway, I'm a big fan of 10th Amendment Center and oh, Michael Bolden. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um. So, as a Liberty Republican in the state legislature, uh, legislature in in Maine, what kind of stuff were you able to accomplish? I know. In 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 the legislature, you have to build relationships. I know that that's an important yeah. thing to do. Um, you have to build relationships within your own party. You have to build relationships within the the Democratic Party. If we had any Libertarians there, you'd have to build some relationships with them as well. Um, you know, talk, talk to me about like what you were able to accomplish there and, you know, what kind of relationships and, and, and how those relationships were fortified to help get you guys there. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, the conventional wisdom is in a, in a legislative body, you know, it's all about building relationships with your colleagues. And I think that there's value in that, but I, but I do think that a a lot of legislators can get sucked into that a little bit too much. They want to become friends with their fellow legislators. And that leads to uh, kind of getting co-opted by the establishment a little bit and getting into this whole, you know, you know, hey, vote for my bill. I'll vote for your bill. And this kind of, you know, uh, you know, I've all I always believe we should, uh, you know, read every bill, you know, for ourselves and decide on the, the merit of the policy, not not our relationships with our colleagues. But that said, I was. More effective than most legislators in Maine in getting some serious things passed. Um, some of the big policies I mentioned: right to try. I, I, I sponsored and passed constitutional carry legislation. Uh, we were Maine became the sixth state in the country to pass that. We're up to 19 now. Iowa uh, just uh, the governor just signed into law there. Thank God. Uh, uh, in Texas, in Texas, it just passed out a com- of the committee. I was just testifying there on that. So. We may be getting some more constitutional carry states in the near future. But constitutional carry, right to try, passed some major welfare reform legislation, uh, did a big expansion of our medical cannabis uh, system along free market principles. I actually think Maine's got the best medical cannabis program in the country. Uh, and I also helped a bunch of sixth graders legalize hedgehogs. Uh, that was a. <laughs> uh, when sixth graders come asking for more freedom, I think that that's something that should be rewarded. So we legalized hedgehogs for them. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, just as proud of, of the policy victories where, you know, actually change things. I'm, 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 I'm also just as proud as the, the times when, uh, you know, I'd be standing alone and, uh, you know, against everyone on corporate welfare policies or for civil liberties where, uh, just the rest of the legislature doesn't get it. But I would say what made me effective there was not so much the relationships I made though, that did help a little bit. I'm, I'm generally a nice guy. My rule is in the in politics, be nice to people when it costs you nothing. Sure. Uh, eventually you're going to have to stand your ground and be a dick, so you might as well be nice when uh, uh, when it doesn't cost you anything. But um, uh, but the reason that I was effective wasn't necessarily so much because of my individual efforts by myself. Was because but it was because I was able to reach out to. Uh, networks of people who cared about these issues across the state and rather than building relationships with the politicians i built re- relationships with their constituents and then i i mobilized their constituents to put pressure on them to tell them to vote for liberty on the on constitutional carry on welfare reform on all these issues or they'd get voted out of office and ultimately i think that um you know in 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 politics there's you know, there's there's two ways, there's two models for kind of uh, how to kind of lobby a legislature. You can have access-based lobbying, which is what we typically think of when, uh, you know, the the lobbyists take politicians out to dinner. It's, it's about building relationships. Or you can have a more confrontational style, which is uh, you, uh, you threaten their reelections by mobilizing their constituents. And I think ultimately with our goals, where we're trying to get liberty back from the system that is not so, um, predisposed towards Liberty. That's, that's really the, the only real path we have available to us. It's not always pleasant. It's not always nice, but, uh, but they're politicians. And if you want a friend in politics, get a dog. Hi kids. do you like violence? Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots on the system is down where we get weird, have fun and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over.
0: It's yeah, it's uh it's a dirty business. I mean, I, I ran for intra party office twice and it got so ugly from my <laughs> own party members that I've just the, par- the, poli- the politics of party politics are the worst kind of politics. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it gets really ugly, man. I mean I they went after my family and my relationships and i mean it was just dirty 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 game and that's a libertarian party i mean we're talking a small pond here right the less than twenty thousand members at the time uh 1.7 million dollar a year budget and i'm going what are you guys what are you guys fighting so hard for you know <laughs> it, you know it, it it reminds me you know i remember when we kind of took over the main
1: gop in 2012 on the ron paul campaign and uh as a favor to a um as a favor to a a, a friend who had was a state director of the uh, young republicans he asked me if i would find f- find a start a county chapter of the young republicans and i said sure we have got all these new young ron paul people would love to be involved but then the establishment showed up and and uh uh and and it was kind of a question well uh someone asked me what are, you, are they going to run someone against you for chairman of this uh uh, this young Republicans chapter, it's like, I don't know, like, why would they do that? That'd be pretty stupid. This organization doesn't exist yet. There's no power here. <laughs> and yeah, they did. It was a tie vote. And I just said, why am I fighting for this? Yeah. Like, I, you guys can have it if this is what you really want. Like, this organization didn't exist until five seconds ago. Like, go and take it. It's yours. Within three meetings, they disbanded as an organization. It was just about trying to spitefully stop people from coming into the party who actually wanted to grow the party. But, but I think, uh, that can be, you know, party politics is the worst because it's, uh, it's sometimes it's dealing with a lot of people who maybe will never actually wield true political power, but will just be standing. Hopefully if they're doing their job, well, we'll be standing next to people, uh, and, and, and so this is a, uh, uh, anyway, it, it, it's, um, yeah, it, it I, yeah, I, I, I much, uh, I like a lot better when we're fighting over things that actually make a difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's, that's how it should be. You know, we should be, if we're going to have an argument, it should be about the way forward and how we're going to change things. Not about, uh, yeah. you know, this person did this and this, per- you know, I, I agree fully, fully. So you, yeah. you, you ran for, uh, Congress, I did right. Uh, Any plans to run for uh, public office again in the future? I don't know. I I haven't ruled
1: anything out. Uh, So I I, I ran for U.S. Senate in 2018. I was the Republican nominee in Maine. I ran for Congress in 2020 in the Republican primary. Uh, Was a strong front runner in the race. Uh, Things looked good until COVID hit. The primary was delayed a month and a half. (laughs) We had to. Uh, stretch our budget a month and a half longer than we thought, and then the neocons came in with a half million dollars of the last three weeks that they dumped on me, calling me a never Trumper because uh, um, uh, because of the comments I made in you know defending Rand in uh, the primary. So yeah, that didn't work out as we'd hoped. Um, you know, truth be told, I I don't see myself running for federal office, uh, at least not in the immediate future. I think I've done that twice. And I'm really beginning to think more and more that the state capitals are where the where the fight is. So I'm focusing my efforts on the state capitals. Um, I, you know, to be totally honest, I've thought about uh, running again for my old state senate seat in Maine that I held for two terms, but I haven't made any decisions there. And um, ultimately, um, ultimately, my bigger my bigger focus is just making sure this we can keep working this, this state capital strategy and whatever I can do to be a force multiplier there and help, uh, help this new wave of Liberty legislators that are kind of making their way, you know, getting their, getting their sea legs and, and really starting to make a difference. I tell you, you know, people ask all the time, you know, who's the next Ron Paul going to be. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think the next Ron Paul is going to be, you know, one of these Liberty legislators we're electing into the state capitals, watch what they do. And there's going to be some
0: real heroes emerging from this in the future. Well, we need, we need a hundred Ron Paul's is what we need. You know, now who's the next one. We need a hundred <laughs> next Ron Paul's, you know, well,
1: I got some good news. I got a,
0: I got a, a hundred and 187 for you. So, <laughs> okay. I'm going to go through all their platforms and make sure first though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so you know a little bit about the Mises caucus. I know you, you disagreed obviously with Dave in your debate on the utility of the libertarian party and versus the GOP. Um, are you familiar with the Mises Caucus and what they've been doing, and and how far they've come in the last three and a half years?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I and I consider myself very philosophically aligned with the Mises Caucus. Um, I, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, philosophically, I think people are are right on. Strategically, I think the the better play is to you know try to focus instead of taking over the LP to take over sure. the GOP and the GOP civil war that's uh, just starting to just starting in the post Trump era. But I have I have total respect um, for the philosophical integrity of of folks, you know, in the Mises Caucus.
0: Sure. So so hypothetically. okay, (laughs) we get through, I don't know, 2024. All right. The Mises Caucus is firing on all cylinders. They've continued to quadruple their growth. Uh, They've continued. They've taken over the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian Party is now the fastest growing party in the country. Do you think it'd ever be a useful vehicle if that's the direction it starts taking? I
1: think it's unlikely. Uh, I, I, you know, and who knows, it, you know, on a long enough timeline, uh, if you can, the biggest obstacle is the rules of the system. Um, you know, Ron Paul talked about it being a rigged game. Uh, it, it, the rules are written by the two major parties to make it a two-party game. Uh, it's it's not just the ballot access laws but it's also it's also just the the whole kind of first past the post plurality based voting system that makes the vast the vast majority of voters say well i've got to vote for the lesser of two evils because otherwise i'm throwing my vote away i could vote for the you know i could vote for you know the third party candidate who most aligns with me but uh but that guy doesn't have a chance of winning, or at least that's what most people believe. And so, it, it but I think the biggest obstacle the LP has is plurality voting. <laughs> 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 well, you know, you, it, it, well, there's all look. There's always going to be like party infighting in sure. the GOP. There's party infighting, and the and the Democrat Party. There's party infighting. There's always going to be that. Sure. People are always eating their own. Um, but. You know, it, but the rules of the but the rules of the game are not built for a third party. So look, uh, you know, there are states where some of these things are changing. Uh, I know the Libertarian Party was part of the effort to kind of push for ranked choice voting in Maine, right. which uh, is kind of partially passed. There's some changes in Alaska and some other states. I don't know how these things are going to work out in in the long run. But I guess theoretically, if movements like these were to spread across the country, it could break down the 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 two party paradigm. And, and maybe a third party like the LP becomes more viable as far as winning elections uh, under a system like that. But I think that something like that is um, change like that happens very slow. Um, and I think that's a long ways off uh, until such a time as that. I think I think uh, if we want to try to make make real political change, policy change and, and win elections in the here and now, uh, the, the the best path we have
0: is to winning primaries in the GOP. Sure, sure. And I, you know, I I made that clear before we started this interview. And I've talked to lots of Liberty Republicans. I'll work with Liberty Republicans. I don't oh mind, yeah. You know, uh, obviously, i as a sitting national uh, board member for the Libertarian Party, I can't go out and endorse the Liberty Republican over the Libertarian candidate. It would be bad form for me as a national leader for the party. Um, but where there is no Libertarian running or or there's already a sitting uh liberty republican i think that there's some that have done some great things and um but i'd also yeah. like to flip you all to libertarian i mean that's you know at the end of the day that's where i want everybody so um i think the Cox doing great work i think i think here yeah. in the next four years they're gonna they're gonna start really surprising people um but you know we talked a little bit about this before the show too with the uh, frontier project in the libertarian party where you know yeah. we have very limited resources as a national political party we're you know, we're trying to we're trying to play this asymmetrical warfare game with financial juggernauts across the country. Um, and it's very hard to do for a party that's so small that has, you know, we could run a thousand candidates, but we can't support a thousand candidates. So what the Frontier Project now has done is started focusing on areas like Wyoming, where we have started yeah. uh, winning or almost winning and actually flipping uh, one of their state legislators. We have two there now because one of them flipped after the election um, to Libertarian. So in uh, Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah, oh okay yeah. I, I i knew about marshall burt in, in wyoming uh marshall Warren, who, right
1: okay yeah yeah, yeah. i know uh, young americans for liberty deployed and helped with marshall's campaign we we're very excited you know first libertarian
0: elected to a state legislature in like a quarter century i think sure yeah i think it had been a long time i think the last one was in alaska too so and it, you know yeah at least at least 25 30 years i think it was i want to say it was yeah I want to say maybe the 80s even like early 80s. It's a long yeah. time ago so.
1: I I am trying to remember the story of that guy in Alaska. If I remember right, he won, he didn't finish the term because he ran for president or something. Yeah,
0: so yeah, libertarians, man. You never know what a libertarian's going to do, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, We do some crazy I think things Marshall's definitely. sticking around though. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they good they've good had a couple dude. of really strong candidates in Wyoming and it's because we took the limited resources we had, chipped off a big chunk and send a bunch of people there to work on those campaigns, as you should if you're a political party and you want to win elections. You know, and I think I heard your debate with uh, with Dave. You actually, you know, you read the the dictionary definition of a political party um, and how you know it's to, to uh, you know win elections. There's no philosophical ideology thing there, right? In the Libertarian Party, we're a little different. We have a bylaw that actually states um, that we have uh, a multifaceted um, Uh, goal. One is to uh, uh, get people elected. It's a political party. We'd obviously want to get people elected. The other is that we want to educate people on the ideals of liberty. So there is a little bit of a think tank aspect there. I don't know if that's harmed the party. Um, You know, sometimes people go into our platform and start just fighting with everybody on, on, on each individual point. And, and I've always said, let the, let the candidates make their own damn platform. You know what I mean?
1: You should see GOP platform uh, debates. <laughs> oh man. I can yeah, imagine. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it, I,
1: I, you know, it's uh, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think these kinds of things happen. Uh, we all, we all, we feel the infighting always that happens in our own sphere but and we always think, geez, the other parties have their have their their stuff together way more than us. But truth be to, that that infighting is.
0: <laughs> well, I try I try it, to you know, I try yeah. to explain this to people, too. I'm like I'm like, listen, you only see the libertarian in like in in fighting so much because there's so little of us. Right. It's like, you know, every libertarian across the country online. I mean, you just know them all. You know what I mean? You see them all, all the time in these, you know, delegates groups and stuff like that. The Republican Party is so big. That you don't, you don't see all the county groups fighting. You know what I mean? We, uh, when, <laughs> when I lived in southern Washington, um, this is actually when I got involved with the party again in 2016, uh, the, the uh, Clark County Republican Party, uh, like the chair was funneling funds into his private bank account or something like that. And I always use this as an excuse because it, 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 there's corrupt people all over the country. It doesn't matter yeah. what political party you're in. But nobody heard about that. Nobody heard about that yeah. shit. If that happened in one of the county parties in the Libertarian Party, every libertarian in the country would know about it because it's just a small pond and everybody's like well, big fish. Yeah. Well, thankfully there isn't enough money in the libertarian party. <laughs> <That> oh <for>, uh, <laughs> yeah. That too. You know, there's some, there's some campaigns that have raised some pretty good money and we did, you know, this last election cycle was good for us. I mean, we had uh, Ricky Harrington Jr. In, in Arkansas who ran against Tom Cotton, got 30-something percent of the vote for a U.S. Senate race as a libertarian. Yeah, there was there was no Democrat in that race, right? Right. And the the funny, yeah. the funny thing was PBS, okay, so, so Ricky Harrington is uh, this very calm, soft-spoken uh, black preacher from Arkansas, right? Nicest yeah. pie. Probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever see in politics. Very honest. Very down-to-earth. And PBS uh, from Arkansas offered a debate. Tom Cotton versus Ricky Harrington because there was no Democrat and that's like you know that's an opportunity as a libertarian you have to jump on that because we don't get invited to the debates and uh so he he, and of of course Tom Cotton wouldn't do it he he did he declined so what did they do PBS let Ricky Harrington get up there and talk for an hour with the moderators by himself it was one of the most beautiful things I ever seen and Tom Cotton's not well liked right even in Arkansas where he's at and, uh, and so he, you know, Ricky Harrington, a he's libertarian, worst, worst. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely up there. I'm not a big fan of Mitch McConnell either, but, uh, that's, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, so yeah, he got an hour to, to address his constituency with libertarian policy, you know, and, and he got like 30, 35 and a half percent of the votes, definitely the most we've ever gotten for a U.S. Senate candidate. So it was, it was pretty cool. And then we won some state legislature seats. We got a lot more local uh, people elected. Um, so we're we're getting there, Eric. I'm telling you, a couple more years, you're gonna be, you're gonna <laughs> well, have that L next to your name, man.
1: But I, I, I'll tell you, you know, but the places, the places where the LP wins is 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 when, uh, when one of the two major parties doesn't have a sure. candidate in the race. Yeah. So like Marshall Burt, Marshall Burt won, like because he was able to, uh, you know, it was a, it was a Democrat in the race. The Republicans never ran anyone in that race, and so he was able to. Not just have the LP faction, but he was able to rally the Republicans around him too, and say, "Why, why would we just let this Democrat have the seat?" And so, um, you know, you know, and this is the barrier. The barrier is like when it's a when it when it's a you know a, a two party race, and the LP is the is the one of the two parties that positions the LP to do great. But when there's a third party, people are just programmed. Sure. you know, they see the R or the D, and and, and that's where they, they, they instinctively gravitate towards. It's so hard to overcome that um, unless we can get to a place where uh, we, we move beyond uh, the first-past-the-post system. And we're starting to see that. And, and, and maybe long-term, that could spell some
0: real electoral success for the LP. Uh, but, geez, it's difficult in the short run. It's hard. It's been hard. I mean, the party's been around 50-something years, and it's always been a fight. But you know we do have uh, many years where we get 50 state ballot access. We won't talk about Tennessee; it's a problem, um, and a couple other a couple other states here and there. But uh, you know they fought really hard for what they are. They, you know they're the, they're like the little engine that could. They they keep going on a broken leg. You know, uh, so I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them. Let's talk about some tyranny. We should, what? We, we should get we should
1: get some of those really energetic, like awesome act liberty activists to come and uh, come to a party where they can make a difference.
0: Oh, oh, okay, I see which Hey, you can't be recruiting my libertarians, man. We don't got a lot of them, okay? Uh, uh, let's talk about some tyranny in this country, man. This, these COVID, All right, let's go for it. these COVID, this 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 idea of COVID passports. Obviously, it's something you're against, right? Oh yeah, it's uh, you know it seems to me, uh, and
1: I don't. It seems to me like the latest iteration on this idea of uh, that they've been pushing forward for decades of of this kind of this this uh, this national ID card. But this time it comes with all of our medical uh, information attached to it. Uh, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan took one look at the, uh, this proposal. You know, it was uh, the national ID card proposal was put in front of him. And he said, that's the mark of the beast. <laughs> We're not having that. But it's an idea that uh, that never dies. It's a it's it's a a dream for uh, central planners to be able to, uh, you know, basically track and monitor the entire American population.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously, I don't agree with him on everything, but people like DeSantis, you you think he's doing the right the right thing by uh, signing an executive order, basically banning any uh, idea of uh, a covid passport in Florida?
1: You know, I, you know, if if I were to look at the the exact policy, I, I feel like maybe, you know, I could critique it here or there. I could say, like, uh, you know, is this is this overall, I'd say yes, you know, in broad strokes. Yes. Um, uh, you know, I think that certainly trying pushing back against anything kind of coming from the federal government. Um, you know, it's always hard when we're talking about private property rights and private businesses and what they want to allow. But of course. These days, like so many big companies, big corporations are their leashes are held through government contracts and government regulations. Uh, they they aren't really independent actors. You know, I think Ron Paul said recently that um, uh, you know big corporations have become the favored vehicle of big government to do the things the Constitution doesn't allow them to do. Sure. Uh, and there's a lot of tr- there's there's it's increasingly becoming evident that that's true. So. Uh, in a general sense, yes. Uh, if I were to look at the exact executive order, I can't promise there's there's nothing I wouldn't uh, that that there's nothing I wouldn't critique in it.
0: Well, is there ever an executive order that has something you wouldn't critique in it? I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> here, you know, they they pack this shit with so much pork all the time. You know, it's always. It's always look here. We're going to do this. I mean, it's it's constant, and they do that in these economic stimulus bills as well. I mean, what a farce that has been. You know, we're going to pay you fourteen hundred bucks to look the other way while we send money all around the world. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, so so (laughs) if you ever do get in Congress, uh, we can we have your word that you will take over uh, Rand Paul's spot as or uh, in Congress or the Senate uh, as the uh, official House filibusterer, right? I don't think you
1: can filibuster
0: in the House. (laughs) I think think that's that's Senate. We're we're thinking bigger here. That's a
1: unique. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, uh, I I can talk a long time, and I'm good on my feet. So I think those are the only two
0: things that are required.
1: But I don't see anyway. I I don't see anything like that happen. At least not in the near future. But
0: but can you read a five thousand page bill overnight, though? You know,
1: (laughs) I, uh, I don't know that anyone can. So I think it's uh, easy to to come to the right answer
0: and vote no. Sure. Sure. Just uh doctor. Know it up, man. We, we learn from the best, right? Yeah. Ron, uh, Ron definitely blazed, uh,
1: blazed the trail and, and left an example for all of us.
0: Sure. Sure. So, uh, so, you know, we just spent a whole year in, in tyrannical hell, you know, the, obviously the COVID passports is just a, it's an idea, but we actually dealt with this shit for a year. How did Maine yeah. do, man? I mean, did you guys, did you guys shut it all down? Did it get all dicey and, Maine's, Maine's been pretty awful, uh, which is a real shame because
1: you know for for uh, for the last decade we had you know we had a, we actually had a halfway decent governor. Now he wasn't a libertarian, but he never would have done any of, any of this stuff. Um, but we have the one of the most tyrannical governors in the country. Her name is Janet Mills. Oof. I remember when she was attorney general, she was she was the worst kind of Democrat. She's the kind of Democrat who, you know, some Democrats you find some common ground with like, hey, you know, like all the the ACLU Democrats out there. Hey, we can agree that like government shouldn't be spying on people. And, uh, you know, maybe we, you know, on on uh, drug, you know, drug kind of freedom and all all of that but she was the worst kind of Democrat. She was big government on economic policy, big government on personal liberty. She's just as for government controlling everything. And she became the Democrat nominee. She won and she's been, she's been awful. Uh, She has kind of had some of the most draconian lockdown policies anywhere you would find it in the country. You know, Maine is a a state that relies very heavily on the tourism industry. Uh, It's called vacation land. And the tourism industry has just been destroyed. it's gonna, it, You know, it, it, it is hard for me to imagine uh, how long it will take for Maine to recover, um, except for the fact that uh, because of, uh, you know, Joe Biden in the White House now and uh, just kind of hand, handing out, uh, you know, trillions of dollars across the country to to the states that uh, to Democrat run states, uh, basically stealing from the states that didn't have these draconian policies that, you know, w- um, we're getting a whole bunch of federal federal money coming into Maine. But of course, that's problematic because, uh, well, for so many reasons, but one of the reasons is it makes our state more dependent on washington, d c. Sure. We become literally a welfare state. Uh, and when you are are when a state or a person is stuck on the welfare system, uh, you when you're dependent, you you lose the ability to make decisions for yourself and everything is dictated. and I think that's happening across America. All the states are becoming so dependent on federal funds. Uh, we're losing our piece by piece. We're losing our sovereignty.
0: Sure, sure. So, so you're, you know, obviously a big proponent of everybody flooding the GOP with liberty, uh, l- liberty advocates. Um, we know that, that a lot of people are just not going to do that. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot of libertarians, especially from the party. But there's a lot of libertarians out there that are small L libertarians that won't join the political parties at all. You know that's that's always going to be a uh, an issue. It's not a problem. I don't think it's a problem. I think they do good work in their own ways. They have podcasts. They do certain things. But would you also advocate that they start doing um, counter economic stuff? You know, counter. You know, uh, evading taxes. I mean, you know the the the, the kind of agorist stuff that um, starves the government. I mean, if they're not going to if they're not going to join in with the political system, do you think that it's a good idea to start doing these? Um, you know, counter things to the government yeah. to, uh, resist. I mean, yeah.
1: I mean, I think that one of the best things people can do is to nullify the federal reserve by buying Bitcoin, Yes, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it, uh, to buy into, I mean, like, you know, inflation is it's a tax on savings, but only a tax on savings and dollars. So why keep your savings in dollars? Uh, I mean, I've been trying to, uh, I've been trying to move all my savings out, uh, out of dollars or at least just have on hand what I need for, for the short run, because look at all these trillions of dollars being printed. We can see the way things are going. Um, so yeah, no, I, I have tremendous respect. You know, I have tremendous respect for anyone who is getting out from behind the keyboard, getting off the sofa and doing something to promote Liberty. Um, so I've, many friends who are kind of agorists, voluntarists who don't engage in the political system. You know, I would hope that if there was a real, like a Ron Paul, you know, running, uh, uh, that they would like, you know, engage enough to, you know, vote for that person in a primary, like we all did in 2012 and 2008. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I respect, uh, I respect whatever path people take. Um, you know,
0: as long as people are fighting for liberty. Sure, sure, sure. Well, hey, man, this has been a great talk. We're definitely getting close to the end. Um, are you familiar with Nicholas Sarwak?
1: <laughs> a little bit. And you know what? Truth be told, I know what uh, Nick, um, uh, <laughs> I know there's been a, a ton of drama and Nick has picked a lot of fights with people that I really I really like and admire, uh, like Tom Woods and Dave Smith and others. I was surprised, actually. I met Nick Sarwak at, at, at a... I think maybe it was Freedom Fest or, or something a few years back. And I was surprised considering like his online persona and how, how much of a dick he's been to people on Twitter. I was surprised like to have a conversation with him that actually was, you know, productive and he seemed like a reasonable person. And I don't know what it is. Like people just like get behind I don't people get behind the keyboard and they just He
0: wears a good uh, mask it, in public, trust me. Trust
1: me. Well, you know, I don't know what I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Social media, I swear I swear to God, just brings out the worst in people. So um, but, but yeah, no, I know, I know Nick Sarwak and, uh, I wish he would stop picking fights with good people. Uh, but other than that, I, I hope he's got a, I hope he, I hope he, he and his family are doing great and he lives sure. a wonderful life.
0: Well, this is, this is great because he's, you know, he's, uh, one of those people that wants to, uh, submit to the will of anybody who's ever held an office. And so now you're hearing it from a former state Senator, Nick, stop being mean to people. We're done with it. <laughs> We're done with it. How about tower gang? Have you heard of tower gang yet? No, it's Tower Game. Oh man, I can't explain it to you, man. You it, it, is, first, is the that first related little, to your shirt? Yeah, it's it's uh it's a group of people that have kind of went to war with the blue check marks online. So it's it's been a lot of fun to watch. Oh wow,
1: I I am a blue check mark online. So yeah. I guess to watch
0: out. Not all blue checks. Hashtag not all. No, that's <laughs> not true. Because I told I told them that I was gonna uh, try to get a blue check mark. Uh, just to troll people and they're like well you know what's going to happen we're going to come after you and I'm like one of the do, early adopters of Tower Gang man so <laughs> do,
1: do you know you know how I got my blue check mark it's a funny story uh, I, I, I had verification on Facebook or or, or something and I, I thought I had it on Twitter apparently I didn't have it on Twitter I just made a mistake but I logged on one day and I saw that I didn't have a blue check mark on Twitter and I thought did they get rid of my blue check mark? And so I just started a Twitter campaign. Hey, Twitter, why'd you remove my blue check mark? What happened? And like libertarians across the spectrum, like just got all upset and like just uh, uh, message, you know, messaging uh, tw- uh, the uh, Twitter, you know uh and before i knew it i had a blue check mark so sure well,
0: that's, <laughs> raise a fuss and you might get one well here's the thing with libertarians man we know that there's so many shit bags out there with blue checks that we need to have some good people with check blue checks too you know you gotta balance you gotta balance out the good and evil eric you know <laughs> but shoot man yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming on dude i think it's a great talk i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of yours i hope you do a lot more work in the liberty movement forever uh whether that be at the state level or the federal level i think you're gonna you're gonna be a bright shining star we won't call you the next Ron Paul yet, but, you know, there's room for it, man. Where can people well,
1: follow you at? You can follow me on Twitter at Senator Brakey. You can follow me. Uh, you can like me on Facebook, uh, Eric Brakey over there. And, uh, yeah, you can. Anyway, just keep fighting for liberty, and I'm sure we'll bump into each other somewhere along the
0: way. Absolutely, sir. Hey, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Pleasure all mine, Joshua. All right, guys, that was uh, former state senator Eric Brakey. He's a great guy, man. I, I really, it's, it's very hard uh, to find somebody that is that nice in the liberty movement. I, I enjoy uh, talking with him. I enjoy watching him. His debate with uh, uh, Dave Smith was probably one of the most jovial debates I've ever seen. Usually we want to kill each other. So uh, definitely go follow him, man. He, he's a great guy. He's a good voice for liberty. Uh, he's solid on principle. Even if he's a GOP guy, he's still very solid on principle. Uh, don't forget about him, man. But, uh, yeah, good show, guys. Definitely make sure you check out Coffee again. BTC at checkout is going to get you a 10% discount. Same with TopLobsta.com where you can get this wonderful Tower Gang shirt if you support the Tower Gang and their uh, very godly work against the Ant- Antichrist. Um, check them out. Planning, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency, crisis, and planning needs for your business. Uh, They do good work. Mises Caucus people out of Delaware, uh, executive producers of the show now. I will actually have uh, one of the owners on the show, not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Uh, As far as the schedule goes, guys, we changed it up a little bit. We were going to have Scott Horton on Friday, um, then Spike Cohen, Michael Bolden, Phil Labonte, but. Scott has now been changed to Tuesday, Uh, so we'll have Scott Horton on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, we're going to have the legend Neocon Remover. Um, He takes no shit. It's going to be interesting. We're going to have a lot of fun together. Uh, He'll probably drop some surprise stuff, and then we're going to have maybe a very special surprise guest next Friday. You're definitely going to want to check it out if that's the case. Make sure you smash that subscribe button. On YouTube, I'm trying to grift that ad revenue into becoming a stay-at-home dad and doing daily content. Um, check us out on Patreon, man. We got some good levels. The 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 chat on Discord is filling up quickly. That's uh, patreoncom backslash breakthecyclejs. Really cool swag over there. Uh, you can also become an executive producer if you'd like to throw those mini schmackers at me. Um, but other than that, man, I will see you guys on Tuesday for the always great Scott Horton. And until then. Don't forget to break the cycle. Due to legal reasons, I just have to explain. The lyrics of my last song may seem to contain. A
1: violent call to action and the in the verse and the refrain, But I just meant it in Minecraft.
0: mindcraft. The helicopter part wasn't reference to GTA 5. The things you do So any violence you commit I am not an excuse Cause I just fanned it in Minecraft For a timber is my friend And he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement Getting totally old Make your own choices Yeah, you have control Because I just fanned it in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless there's due process And a trial, of course And if you're convicted We will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft Nothing I mean, you know it Don't try to finish, get so close to COVID Holy shit, I think I'm a poet In Minecraft, in Minecraft